Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I am really uh, excited to tell all of you that I have a great comment that was written in, and uh, I think you're going to find this to be really special. So I do want to encourage everybody out there listening to please send in some comments. Let me know what you think about our new series on uh, the heart of darkness. And of course, uh, we're going to be just focusing on uh, Marlowe. And uh, again, we'll be reading Lord Jim here pretty quickly. So uh, uh, just keep sending these comments in. But, uh, but, But here it is. It says, Dear JBL, just wanted to say thanks for covering Heart of Darkness. It is an excellent read, and I appreciate your added insight. You always help to bring more life and deeper appreciation for what the author is trying to convey. And uh, uh, I, I really appreciate people recognizing that because, uh, you know, I do have assistants and I do have people helping me, and we really do work hard together to, uh, to get you to see below the surface of whatever you're reading. Now, this person goes on to say, this is, this is of particular interest as my own mom's side, or maybe I should say it this way, this is of particular interest as on my mom's side, I am second generation from Belgium. I had a great aunt that taught in the Congo and eventually died there. I have always liked to hear the stories my grandmother would tell me about her and her letters. Your program is very insightful in all the many books you have covered. So thanks again. Now, I thought that was just really fascinating that, that here you have uh, a, a person who is, is senior, and then she, her grandmother would talk about an aunt, uh, a Belgian aunt who was a nun that worked you know, uh, in the Congo, who worked you know, with essentially the same book that we're reading or the, the, maybe the uh, events of the same book that we're reading. So uh, I really did appreciate that. And again, I just hope uh, more of you out there give your comments on uh, the books that we're covering here on Just the Best Literature. Now, on our last two podcasts, we did begin discussing book one of Joseph Conrad's novella, Heart of Darkness. Now, my wife and I, uh, we showed you several keys to help you understand what you're reading. And uh, one of the comments we made that I just want to remind you about uh, before we begin today's program is, remember, Conrad purposely wrote this book to be, let's say, as dense as a jungle and a challenge to read. And I I believe the reason why he does this is to get us to think deeply about what we are reading. And there are so many things that are being discussed in Heart of Darkness that you can miss if you don't, let's say, maybe read a little more or slowly, or you don't read it just for the story value, but you read it because Joseph Conrad wants to teach you something. And I I think that's that's really important. And uh, Conrad definitely wants you to fully explore the depths of what he wrote. And so, so it's not necessarily the easiest read, and it's not just something you want to 
want to pick up for a casual reading, but you want to spend some time thinking about it and then exploring it. So, so you have to put yourself, uh, maybe make yourself a little bit of a Marlowe and uh, you know, be introspective, but also just uh, search out what Conrad is trying to say there. Now, for today's program, I want to continue discussing book one, but I want to focus on a different subject. And in some ways, I want to take you into a deeper understanding of the character Marlowe. And uh, for today's program, and uh, this probably or could uh, slip into a second program, um, I, I just want to show you that that uh, here we have Marlowe. And uh, essentially, if, you, if you're reading to understand, if you're reading to think deeply, there's one thing we learn about Marlowe that you could miss. And, and I think that that point is Marlowe ignored the warning signs about actually, um, you know, going into Africa. And uh, there was a lot of warning signs that hit him, and uh, he ignored them. And uh, uh, remember this from, from our last couple of programs. Remember, Conrad does refer to Marlowe as, and this is even a quote from page 41 in my book, but Conrad refers to Marlowe as a Buddha preaching in European clothes. Now, the, the, the thing that's interesting about that is, is if you understand just a little bit of history about the Buddha, and uh, when I was in college, um, you know, meditation was a big deal, and everybody was studying about the Buddha. And so, so he, the Buddha was supposed to have been some really enlightened one. And so, so essentially, Conrad is comparing Marlowe to Buddha, like he's this enlightened one that's going to teach about European values. And so, so uh, supposedly, Marlowe is to be this enlightened individual. But here we are when we start reading, you know, a little more deeply into the book, we begin to realize if he's so enlightened, why does he miss or why does he ignore all these warning signs that he's obviously aware of? And of course, he talks to us about them. And so, so I think if you as a reader are reading uh, deeply and you're reading analytically, you're soon going to discover that one of Marlowe's major flaws is that his lust for adventure overrides his sense of danger. And he did sense danger from the very beginning before he even you know, got to the, to the African Congo. Now... Uh, I think it's pretty, uh, maybe, uh, I, I think, uh, maybe I should say it this way. Uh, I think I'm pretty safe in saying that this is the fault of every human being. <laughs> you know, how many times in your life and how many times in my life that I, well, I sensed a little bit of uneasiness or I felt, wow, this maybe doesn't seem right. But then uh, uh, we just go ahead and push through and say, well, this is what I want. And then uh, all of a sudden we're stuck in a bad situation that's really hard to get out of. And uh, I, I bet everyone out there listening uh, could tell, you know, hundreds of Marlowe-type stories. <laughs> and so, so I'm certainly not going to go into mine on the radio. Uh, there's too many. And then there's some of them are too painful <laughs> to remember. But, but all of us kind of uh, are very good at, warn, at, at avoiding the warning signs. They, and the problems could have been avoided. And uh, uh, how many of us regret, like, wow, if I had just listened to my uneasy feeling or uh, if I, I took the wise counsel from my parent or from a spouse 
uh, or from a friend, I would not be in the situation I'm in. So uh, uh, I think this is what certainly Conrad uh, is trying to get across with, with Marlowe. Uh, I'm going to start reading uh, on this on page 42. And again, this is page 42 of my book. And uh, remember, I have the series um, that has, you know, Youth, it has Heart of Darkness, it has Amy Foster, and it has uh, Secret Sharer. And, and all these, bo- these uh, kind of novellas or short stories are all related in a way with the same kind of themes. But uh, um, one of the things... Uh, that I think Marlowe, or maybe I should say it this way, Conrad brings out about Marlowe that that he was still caught up in some of his boyhood dreams. And, you know, children children can be, uh, you know, have a lot of dreams. They, they can have a lot of excitement over things, and they really don't have all the facts, but they can, they can get excited. I know when I was six, I, I told... Uh, I don't know why I did this. I popped up one day. I think we were at supper, and I told my whole family that I was going to travel the world. And, uh, boy, they just laughed at me. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, but as it turned out, you know, I, I've been in, you know, I've traveled through Europe. I've traveled through, you know, Canada. I've traveled even as far as Alaska. I've been in uh, Australia. I've been in New Zealand. And uh, so I made sure that I sent every one of them a postcard from those areas. <laughs> And I said, "Are you still laughing?" You know, but but anyway, that that may have not been very nice on my part. But I just want to start reading uh, this one section down on page forty-two. It says, "Now, when I was a little chap, I had a passion for maps." And so, so this is where the idea of the boyhood dreams comes in. He says, uh, "I would look for hours at South America or Africa or Australia and lose myself in the glories of exploration." At that time, there were many blank spaces on the earth, and when I saw one that looked particularly inviting on a map, but they all looked bad, I would put my finger on it and say, when I grow up, I will go there. And so uh, I can relate to this because for some reason at six, I just came up with the idea I was going to travel the world. And so I think I've been in every American state except four. I've been in every Canadian province, and I've been throughout... Uh, a, a lot of parts of of England. Uh, again, been in Europe and France, been in Germany. Actually, went as far east as Prague, and so uh, uh, I called that my beast tour, by the way. And so, uh, uh, anyway, um, uh, those of you that know the Bible would know where the beast is from, and certainly that's a European beast. And we talk a lot about that uh, on the Trumpet Daily, and we talk a lot about that in our other uh, programs. So, uh, but, but anyway, n- notice what he's saying is, you know, he just put his finger on his map, he wanted to go there. So now, uh, that, that kind of introduces uh, what Marlowe was saying about himself when he was a little chap, he, he thought that. So, if you remember from our last couple of programs, here he is, uh, Marlowe is in England, he doesn't have a ship, uh, he's, he's uh, spending a lot of time walking through the streets of London, doesn't know what to do about it with himself. And uh, he walks uh, down this uh, street called Fleet Street. It was uh, kind of like a financial area in London. And I think it's still there, actually. And uh, uh, all of a sudden, he sees, in one of the stores, he sees a map of Africa. And all of a sudden, 
this uh, boyhood dream just comes right back at him. It says, uh, this is, again, the bottom of page 243 going over, uh, excuse me, the bottom of page 42 going over to 43. He says, true by this time, it was not a blank space anymore. It had gotten filled since my boyhood with rivers and lakes and names. It had uh, ceased to be a blank space of delightful mystery, a white patch for a boy to dream glorious over. It had become a place of darkness. So, so here, uh, if you look at it, maybe the big point we need to make here is that Marlowe even ignored the geographic warnings about Africa. And uh, my wife and I have talked about this uh, uh, a lot since we even did the last two programs. And, uh, you know, Africa was called uh, the Dark Continent. And uh, uh, certainly here Marlowe understands that Africa, you know, he's, he's out of his boyhood, uh, but, but it's a place of darkness. There was a lot happening on the continent. And, of course, uh, there was still, at this time, there was still a lot of wild areas, you know, lions and tigers and bears, oh, my. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it was that. But, but uh, also there were, you know, indigenous peoples that, well, didn't have the benefits that, uh, you know, the European countries had had. And so, so it was, it was off, obviously could be a very wild and violent place as well. But, and, and notice, so, so he knows it's a place of darkness, but, but that doesn't seem to stop him. Then he goes on to say, but there was in it one river, especially a mighty big river that you could see on the map resembling an immense snake uncoiled with its head in the sea and its body at rest curving far over a vast country and its tail lost in the depths of the land. And as I looked at the map of it in a shop window, it fascinated me as a snake would a bird, a silly little bird. So here, Marlowe, again, he had this boyhood dream. You know, he's, uh, he uh, quit his job working in the, uh, let's say, in Australasia area. And uh, he was without a ship. He's getting bored. And all of a sudden, he says, Wow. I've just been hypnotized by a snake, and it was the river. And so, so uh, I hate snakes, by the way. Uh, I know some people like snakes. I don't like to touch them. I don't even like to look at them. And, uh, uh, you know, as it, when I was a boy, uh, my brothers had uh, gotten into some fight with some neighborhood other boys. And since I was just a little skinny kid, they picked on me, and one of them wrapped a live snake around my neck. And all I remember before I freaked out was that head coming right at me, and I could see the two, you know, the forked tongue coming right from my nose. So I pretty much lost it at that point. So that's why I still hate snakes. And if I find one, I kill it. You know, I'll just be honest about that. <laughs> anyway, but but uh, remember, it, it, he even admits there he was like this silly little bird. And uh, he actually says here. Then I remembered there was a big concern, a company for trade on that river. And, and so, so he said, he's starting to put things together. And he said, dash it all. I thought to myself, they can't trade without using some kind of craft on that lot of freshwater steamboats. Why shouldn't I try and get a charge of one? I went along Fleet, Fleet Street, but could not shake off the idea. The snake had charmed me. So, so, uh. Uh, did he stop and think, well, is this something I should do? And again, he was charmed. And so, 
So uh, uh, he ignored, he ignored it. And and how many times uh, you know have you in your life and me in my life said that phrase, dash it all, I'm going to do it anyway. You know, I could think of cars I bought that I shouldn't have bought. <laughs> and, uh, dash it all, I'm going to buy it anyway. And then you end up being, you know, spend, uh, you know, you could have probably got something really good, uh, but you spent a lot of it on maintenance. And so, uh, so you know, those are the kind of things you know, we all are, are guilty of. But then, uh, uh, you know, one of the things, it would, be, it would have been a real big step down for Marlowe to go after, you know, uh, one of these uh, uh, river boats, you know, a, a steamship, uh, I, I guess. Uh, uh, I don't know exactly what they look like, but, uh, you know, so sometimes I think of the, you know, the big, <laughs> the big paddle, bo- uh, paddle boats, you know, with the big, with the steam and the, the, you know, the big wheel at the end. And I think probably they look something like that. But anyway, it would have been a real come down for him. And uh, if if we go on and uh, keep reading on, on this page 43, it says, you understand it was a continental concern. And of course, that means Belgian there. We have to realize that uh, some people get confused that he's talking about England, but he's really talking about the Belgian company in the Congo. And of course, we gave you a little bit of history on that as as we've been talking about this book. He said, it was a continental concern, that trading society, but I have a lot of relations living on the continent because it's a cheap and not so nasty as it looks, they say. But he goes on to say, I am sorry to own, I began to worry them. This was already a fresh departure for me. I was not used to getting things that way, you know. I always went on my own road and on my own legs where I had a mind to go. I wouldn't have believed it of myself, but then, you see, I felt somehow I must get there by hook or by crook. So I worried them. And so here his family was even saying, you know, you probably don't need to get involved with the company. And you probably don't need to be on one of these ships in the Congo. I mean, it's wild there. It's it's dark there. You even say it's darkness. And so, but, but see, he was just so motivated. He says by hook or by crook, he was going to get there. And he goes on to say, the men said, my dear fellow, and did nothing. So he couldn't get anyone to help him. And then he said, then would you believe it? I tried the women. I, Charlie Marlowe, set the women to work and to get a job. Well, you see, the notion drove me. I had an aunt, a dear, enthusiastic soul, and uh, he said, she wrote, it will be delightful. I'm ready to do anything for you. And so, so I mean, I, I imagine Marlowe to be a pretty beefy guy, pretty, uh, pretty much a man, pretty much wanting to do his own thing. And he was so intent on getting into, well, Africa that he even let, a woman help him get the job, and so, so uh, he he does say some things about her uh, later, just a few pages later, and I, and I have to, uh, we're going to have to go there, because uh, uh, even even the fact that his aunt got in the job should have been enough of a warning for him. So I'm going to go over to page 47 now, and this is where he's talking about, uh, you know, he's already gotten the job, and. Uh, you know, he, he decides that, that one of the things uh, he wants to do is he wants to go and thank his aunt. 
And this is be and 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 uh, I think I even brought out a few programs ago, even maybe at the very beginning, that he really did have an aunt. And uh, right before he did leave for the Congo, he actually went to see her, you know, uh, on the continent. Or he he left England and went over there to see her. But uh, this is the bottom of page four, my page forty-seven. And if you have your book, uh, you can you can slip through and find these things easy enough. Uh, but he goes on to say, One thing more remained to do. Say goodbye to my excellent aunt. I found her triumphant. I had a cup of tea, the last decent cup of tea for many days, and in a room that most soothingly looked just as you would expect a lady's drawing room to look. We had a long, quiet chat by the fireside. In the course of these confidences, it became quite plain to me I had been represented to the wife of the high dignitary, and goodness knows to how many more people besides, as an exceptional and gifted creature, a piece of good fortune for the company, a man you don't get hold of every day. <laughs> and so he makes an exclamation there. And so here, uh, you know, think about a good aunt. I had a, a really great aunt, Aunt Mabel, and I've actually written about her. And uh, she just, she just really loved me, and and uh, uh, in some many ways, I could take all my little problems to her, and she always seemed to want to listen, and there was no rough correction, but there was this wisdom there. But uh, um, you know, some ants can really build you up to be more than what you are, and uh, I think even Marlo at this point is a little bit worried. What did what did she really do to me? What if I can't measure up? And uh, uh, but 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 notice what he has to say about his aunt, and this is really, really um, quite interesting. She actually, uh, um, you know, kind of got really, really, really kind of effusive with him. And uh, uh, here's a conversation. This is actually page forty-eight. She says, uh, you forgot there, Charlie, that the labor is worthy of is hire, she said brightly. Now, uh, I think uh, she's talking about, if, I, if you just go to the paragraph of, of, of above there, um, she, uh, <laughs> she really painted him really, really big. And it, it's almost like she made him to be this emissary of light. And, and she said, he even says something uh, a little sort of a, a lower sort of apostle. <laughs> and so, so uh, um, you know, he knows that's not true. And so then down below he said, it's queer how out of touch with truth women are. They live in a world of their own and there has never been anything like it and never can be. It is too beautiful altogether. And if they were to get it up, it would go to pieces before the first sunlight, sunset. <laughs> so, so. That should have been a warning to him. Here is Ant. It really, really builds him up. And then he says, wow, it's just queer how to touch women are with the truth. And if they could build the world, it would fall apart in the sunset, <laughs> the first sunset. So, uh, But there's some really interesting lines there. And uh, he compares himself to Adam, who was stuck with Eve. And uh, look what Eve did to, to Adam. And so so I think that's really interesting. So, so... Marlowe ignored the warnings of his own family. And then uh, uh, the, the, the third point I want to uh, begin to make today, and maybe we'll have to carry this over for another program, but uh, Marlowe also ignored the warning signs he sensed about the company. Uh, 
And uh, in, in some ways, this is where I, uh, you know, I hold him to the his feet to the fire on this one because it just seems like this should have really, uh, you know, had him have second thoughts. But again, remember, he says, dash it all. He doesn't care. You know, his boyhood, his boyhood dream had really gotten hold of him. So uh, I'm going to go back now to page um, 43. And uh, <clears throat> this is when he talks about he got his appointment. And uh, uh, we're going to go back and forth a little bit on this section. It might get a little confusing for you, but I think, I think you understand it all. I'm just making point by point, but they're not necessarily in order with the story. But the bottom of page 43 says, I got my appointment, of course, and I got it very quick. It appears the company had received news that one of their captains had been killed in a scuffle with the natives. This was my chance, and it made me the more anxious to go. Now think about that. <laughs> Here's one of their captains got killed by the natives. He's going to take over this steamship. Does he stop and think, maybe I could be killed by natives? It doesn't appear that he thinks this at all. And he says, uh, he said it was only months and months afterwards when I made the attempt to recover what was left of the body that I heard the original quarrel arose from some mister misunderstanding about some hens. <laughs> yes, two black hens. Friesleven, that was the fellow's name, a Dane, thought himself wrong somehow in the bargain, so he went ashore and started to hammer the chief of the village with a stick. Oh, it didn't surprise me in the least to hear this, and at the same time to be told that Friesleven was the gentlest, quietest creature that ever walked on two legs. No doubt he was, but he had been a couple of years already out there engaged in the noble cause, you know, and he probably felt the need at last of asserting his self-respect in some way. And so, so not only besides the fact that Friesleven is killed, uh, you know, by the son of the 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 uh, native chief that he was beating the daylights out of for for uh, keeping back two hens, but but it, it's like he he realizes um, that what the company does to gentle people here, this Friesleven became what like a a violent person. And so, so obviously, the company and what the company wants put a lot puts a lot of pressure on people. And so, so, but here you have to think about Marlowe. He's he's kind of has this, uh, well, dash it all, dash it all attitude. Well, in in other words, how many times have you and I done this in our lives? We're thinking, well, this isn't going to happen to me. Oh, I can handle this. You know, I, I can get, I can get through this. But but he never he never thought for a minute that it might affect him personally, and so so here here Marlowe should have really thought about this. Well, what what would the, what would this company do to me? And so so in some ways he could have been a little bit of vanity, thinking, well, I've I've run all these other ships, I can I can handle this, you know, this steamship, or you know, the the smaller boat. Uh, but but anyway. It, it, the, to me, that's just a warning sign that, that he just ignored. Now, I'm just going to continue on there. Uh, but again, that's, that's just a good, I think, a good sample. Um, <clears throat> when he got ready 
to go. It does say, he does say, this is the bottom of page 44. It says, I flew around like mad to get ready. And before 48 hours, I was crossing the channel to show myself to my employers and sign the contract. In a very few hours, I arrived in a city that always makes me think of a whited sepulcher. Now, of course, I think uh, those of you that read the Bible know that uh, he's talking about um, uh, a scripture that where Christ refers to the Pharisees. He called them whited sepulchers. And so outside they look good, but inside there's dead, men bone, dead men's bones. And so, so here he is. He's in Brussels now. He calls the city a whited sepulcher, and, uh, but yet he continues on. I mean, if he's really that enlightened, he would think, well, what's, what's going on on the inside? But uh, he goes on to say that he just kind of ignored it. He says, prejudice, no doubt. In other words, he, he figured, well, I'm just prejudiced against the Belgians. He said, I had no difficulty in finding the company's offices. It was the biggest thing in town, and everybody I met was full of it. They were going to run an overseas empire and make no end of coin by it. And so, so you know, he, he's, he's now he's actually getting caught up in the company thinking already. And, and he goes on to say, and listen to this description. It says, a narrow and deserted street in deep shadow. So he's, he's now uh, walking into the company. He says, it's a narrow and deserted street in deep shadow. There's high houses, innumerable windows with Phoenician blinds, a dead silence, grass sprouting between the stones, imposing carriage archways right and left, immense double doors standing per, per, uh, ponderously ajar. I slipped through one of these cracks, went up a swept and ungarnished staircase as arid as a desert and opened the first, first door I came to. And so so there, I don't think that is necessarily the best description of a company. And it looks like it's, it's, a, you know, it's a desert, it looks like it's foreboding, and yet that doesn't seem to bother him at all. So that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, we'll continue our discussion of book one of Joseph Conrad's novella, Heart of Darkness. You can buy Heart of Darkness at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com, and you may be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. Of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Just search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.